Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, champagne sharks. How's it going? Uh, So right now we are continuing a conversation we had last week on Amanda's podcast, Radio Free Amanda. Amanda, if you want to just introduce yourself real quick and tell people where to find you. Yeah, uh, my name's Amanda. Um, I'm on Twitter, um, content only, C-A-T-C-O-N-T-E-N-T-O-N-L-Y. And I also host a podcast called Radio Free Amanda on Patreon. And um, that is where we recorded the first half of this conversation uh, last week. So if you enjoy this conversation, make sure to head over to my Patreon to listen to the first half of the conversation. I feel like um, I feel like the conversation we had last week was um, like I was thinking about I was thinking about it a lot and the whole with social media mm-hmm. plat- platform. How do I characterize? Because the conversation was all over the place. It's not an easy one to uh, summarize, even though even though I thought it was pretty good and interesting. But um, we were talking about like journalism by um, you know different ethnic groups and and how it's covered. But also we we're talking about social media in general and how um, yeah, social- yeah we yeah. were talking about um, we were talking about well we had a conversation about like attention spans and how social media has um kind of ruined our attention spans and now um i don't know we we talked about like the twitter algorithm and the tiktok algorithm and how um like in order for content to really circulate nowadays you have to grab people's attention within the first three seconds and people have started optimizing their content for that but at the same time um you said that like YouTube videos are getting longer. Yeah, but you had an interesting take in that you thought the you copped to being one of those shorter attention span people. I did, but you, but you had a very um, positive take on it that you thought it was making you a better writer. That you, you know you were. You oh were yeah, leaning, that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were leaning into it. You weren't. You know. I mean, I'm what, not saying it's good. It's not. It's not good. Um, because. I, I mean, I was trying to be optimistic about it, but um, I used to be able to sit down and like read for hours. And now um, I have I really struggle to do that. And I, I really have to be intentional in order to sit down and read. But the upside is, is um, I was saying that I uh, I'm a I'm a natural writer, right? I'm a natural writer and a natural editor. And I've always like done writing and editing. So I do two kinds of writing now. I do like writing articles and then I do like writing posts. It sounds stupid, but um, uh, I have my social media account and I also do like social media for my political organization. And so um, you have to optimize your content for Twitter in order to grab people's attention and for it to like really circulate. Um, and so through taking care through managing those two accounts i've learned like what works on social media what works on twitter and what doesn't and how to best um optimize like what you write in order to like grab people's attention um and i was saying that um you know like writing articles and then writing a post on twitter um those are two different kinds of writing um uh, in an article, you have like much more freedom and the ability to um, be like a little bit more flowery, flowery with language and be um, use like a little bit, be much more descriptive and um, a little you're you're able to be a little bit more long winded. Whereas on Twitter, because of the I don't know what it is, 240 character limit, uh, you really have to learn how to be like as short and concise, but yet punchy at the same time. And I was saying that, um, uh, like learning how to be that concise on Twitter has sort of improved my writing, uh, when writing articles, but because it prevents me from being so verbose now. Yeah. But you know something with, um, 
you know, like people talk about the efficiency of uh, language that Twitter creates. But I think another problem with it, though, is that there's this kind of vagueness. Like people try too hard to be short on Twitter sometimes. Like it's very mm-hmm. kind of uncool to use all the characters or God forbid a thread. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of times there's built in vagueness or subtweetery that uh, if you're not plugged in 24 seven, you're not really going to be able to contextualize what you're reading a lot of times. You know, it'll just mm-hmm. be like people just kind of picking up the thread of something that was floating in the ether all day. And, and that's one thing that I think kind of drives me crazy about Twitter is that it works optimally if you're on it all day. So it's like, even though it, a lot of it is short, you have to kind of be on it all day for it to work. And all that little short burst of stuff adds up to a lot of time. Like, uh, for example, when we were talking about a tweet, uh, you and I, and I was like, I didn't understand the tweet. You had to explain to me, oh, the tweet that this person is quote tweeting oh, right. is a parody of this other tweet. And then I did a search <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait, this tweet has been floating around for like a day, but I haven't been on Twitter for like hours or like half a right. day. So um, I have no idea what it was. Like, I had enough time to become meta. Like, you know, yeah. it was a tweet about a tweet about a tweet by the time well, I finally saw it. Yeah. So uh, for like the audience, which um, just to like give some context, there was a tweet that went viral that got a lot of criticism. Um, and rightfully so. Um, and it was like this woman who said she was at a Dunkin' Donuts and, um, her, the first sentence of the tweet was, I hate homeless men. And then she talked about how like she was at, at a Dunkin' Donuts and this homeless guy approached her and asked her if she could buy him a meal. And she was like, no, I can't. And then the homeless guy, um, um, I think like put hands on her or something like that. Um, which, which she shouldn't have done. Um, but also she shouldn't have like started her tweet out with like, I hate homeless men. So she got, um, she got uh, a lot of criticism for that and she got dunked on a lot. And then this other tweet that you were talking about was someone else had made, um, a meme, um, referring to that original tweet and then someone quote retweeted that meme and then added their commentary on that and then um yeah it took like if you didn't understand if you weren't like really plugged into twitter then you probably wouldn't have understood you know what this person was referring to yeah and a lot of stuff like that is on twitter like you can't it's not easy to just casually drop in like you know after 12 hours take a peek come back in 12 hours later it's like um there's like multiple developments that happens in that time it's like you know the first wave then the wave that's a backlash of the first wave then yeah then the backlash against the backlash yeah yeah yeah. And, and then it's then the meta uh, mocking of the whole thing altogether is just, you know, uh, like I popped in today and then everyone was doing this thing about um, uh, filling, filling the autocomplete after these three words. And there was like mm-hmm. 50, 50 tweets doing it. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like, um, I, there was one that was like, um, there was like one that was like, women are and then they were saying that um you should tie that into your phone and let it autofill but that one was like i felt like that one was like a while ago a week ago which is like basically years on twitter time so i haven't seen any any different ones besides that from a week ago <laughs> you know it's funny people were doing it when i checked today they were doing it like crazy but what they were doing was some weird ones like someone was like transphobia edition building this um mm-hmm. trans people are and i'm like okay why would you do that because i mean right. the, person, the person doing it wasn't like a transphobe they weren't um someone who disliked transphobia i think they were trying to make a statement about transphobia somehow but i'm like okay how is it gonna help to make people autocomplete transphobia in a sentence because yeah it's just gonna like completely that's just shit stirring at that point yeah I, 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 like, like why would you even want to see it you know yeah it, yeah like why would you subject yourself to it and yeah i guess like um i try not to get too into like this kind of back and forth drama on twitter that's not what i prefer to use it for like i think i like to use it for news and um I think it's a really good aggregator of news. Uh, so that's what I like to use it for. That and like, I'm in like several fun group chats on Twitter. So I like, I like to use the app for that as well. Well, you know, what, what's interesting to me about it is I don't really find it as great a news aggregator as I used to. It used to be very um, mm-hmm. good. Like, it's still okay for that, but 
I feel like it used to be um way better personally. I, I I don't know. Like I get too annoyed too easily on it now. So mm-hmm. I end up I end up not being able to hang around for the news. I think that I think that's the problem. I feel like Yeah, I get really annoyed on it too. And I find myself like fixating on certain people who I really, it's- really hate. And um, there's like this one who's been like, it's been this one person for like several weeks now. And it's really bad because all of my other friends also hate him. And so we just end up sending his tweets back and forth to each other. And finally, like you and I were doing it too. And finally, yesterday, I I had to be like, look, I'm going to ask that we place a moratorium on sending each other this guy's tweets because it just makes me too mad. Because what happens is that like I'll... Someone will send it to me and then I get really mad and I go to his profile. And of course, there are like 50 more. Yeah. Yeah. And then I keep sending them to all my friends and then they send me like they see those and then they send me even more of his. And it's just um, it's just like a a, like a a downward spiral. No, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. If you uh, can't stand somebody, that's a great place to subject yourself to their, uh, yeah, because stuff and drive yourself it, nuts. You, it, it's like, um, it's a great place to subject yourself to that because it's like, it kind of like reveals their inner thoughts, you know, Twitter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, you can see, yeah, yeah, you can see all their bad tweets. Um, so. To continue where we were talking about last time with uh, articles and writing about race and the whole um, industry kind of around it, uh, a, f- a person who fascinates me that I think is a master of this kind of um, shit-stirring activism economy is Syra. Yeah. Am I pronouncing her name right? Syra Rao, right? I think it's a S-A-I-R-A. Um, last I don't know is- if it's pronounced Syra or Sarah. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, she's she's an interesting person. If people don't know, and, and this is the thing that we we're kind of talking about is this way that you can be obnoxious, but being obnoxious is a feature, not a bug, because it makes you known. Like, um, she would always tweet this stuff about white people all the time mm-hmm. and get dunked on and by people for her uh, ridiculous identity politics, but mm-hmm. it made her known and. You know, using that whole mantra, that whole philosophy of no, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, she's a kind of trolled her way into like a decent amount of prominence. I, I don't, she was a politician at one point. So you know, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to figure out how much of her popularity is just from her ridiculous Twitter presence versus something done offline. It's hard for um, me to know. I'm not sure because I've really only, um, I only know her through Twitter, but I'm looking at her Wikipedia page right now and she said, it says that she was a former Wall Street lawyer and television producer, and she's also a political activist and author and a publisher. So, um, so I think she's like, she's one of these, like, um, like really like identity politics without any sort of class analysis people who I feel like really rose to co- prominence, especially like in the summer after the summer of 2020 when, um, you know, like the, George Floyd uprisings happened and um, there were a lot of like, quote unquote, conversations around race, but completely devoid of class. And there were all of these people that were writing um, books about race and you know, like Robin D'Angelo, um, like white fragility, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And she, uh, she has yeah. a, she has a book coming out. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, just cause no. it was, um, uh, pertinent to what you're saying. Speaking of books, she has a 2022 book called white woman that is either coming out or is out. And a no-holds-barred guidebook aimed at white women who want to stop being nice and start dismantling white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, she's she's uh, hitting the book circuit as well. Yeah, and she and this other woman do what's called race to dinner, um, which is I I and we're gonna like read an article about it, but it's basically where they. Um, invite a bunch of white women to a sit-down dinner and then um, the white women pay like an absurd amount of money to participate in this and um, it's like thousands of dollars for a seat and then these two Sarah Rao and like her partner or whatever in this sort of challenge um, these white women 
on their like white privilege or whatever and their own racism. Yeah. So in her, in the Wikipedia page, it says beginning in spring of 2019, Jackson, that's her partner and Rao attend dinners with eight to 10 white women hosted and catered by one of the white women and lead a conversation aimed at confronting the women with their own racism. 15 such dinners had been held by February of 2020. And when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, they had 25 more planned for the year. Um, as a result of the pandemic, they switched to virtual dinner parties held on Zoom uh, without food about twice a week. And following a spike in interest since the murder of George Floyd, the charge for such a dinner doubled from $2,500 to $5,000. Um, you know, there's a video here. I feel like, um, is it a good time to play it? What do you think? I think we should probably read the article. And then um, since the video is embedded in the article, um, we can play it. Uh, okay. yeah. Uh, okay, cool. When it comes up in the article. Um, so, okay. So what you were just reading is from the article, right? Or no, I was reading from the Wikipedia page. Open the Wikipedia. Wikipedia page. Okay. So I'm going to read, um, from the article. So the title is from Yahoo News and the title is, um, also I feel like it's so cheesy to put this in the actual article title because I feel like, I feel like a lot of quote unquote news is becoming like tweets and people yeah. aren't even bothering to kind of write headlines or write articles in any type of professional voice, you know? So the titles Karen's and Becky's put on the spot in new documentary about white women's role in white supremacy. And I, I feel well, like you keep, you're good. Well, I think um, it's just that uh, people editors are writing headlines in a really clickbaity way now. Yeah. So in that way, they're similar to tweets in that they're trying to like grab your attention in whatever way possible. And Karen is like such an overplayed meme at this point. I'm so yeah. I'm so fucking tired of like uh, Karen this and Karen that. Um. So they know that like anything Karen will grab your attention. But at huh. least put it in scare quotes because it seems like Yahoo News is actually using the well, term Karen themselves. This is like, like Yahoo News is an aggregator. So this is actually from Blavity News. Oh, And not they're sad. like republishing it. Yeah. What's Blavity? Oh, oh, you don't know what Blavity is. Okay. Um, <laughs> we used to have a term. We used to have a term on the show. We used to call them Blavity Blacks because like yeah. Blavity is basically um, this site. It's a weird site. Um it, it's supposed to be this site for black millennials, but okay. the woman who founded it, and she's a pretty savvy, um, she's a pretty savvy operator. Like, like as a businesswoman, I have to give her credit, but it's this weird intersection between her name is Morgan Debon, D E B A U N, and um, but she's one of those people. She's a weird intersection between um journalism and the tech world mm -hmm. like that's part of the reason why i think she made blavity take off so well because she got a lot of uh i think angel investors and stuff and she kind of sold it as this kind of mix of media and um the internet and and platforms like okay i'm gonna try to find a good so so it's like this blavity.org right which mm -hmm. so instead of just being a Instead of just being a um, online journalism site, they try to make it into a, a host of platforms and uh, and mix this kind of business empowerment slash startup type type of talk, right? So um, there's a blavity.org and it's like blavity.org empowers black entrepreneurs to create generational wealth through education, storytelling, and black gravity. We envision a world where all black people thrive. And then you um, scroll down and it has stuff like um, we increase access, resources, and knowledge where it has the most impact helping black entrepreneurs grow and succeed. And then there'll be subcategories, access to funding, tools and technology, operational development. So it's like, okay, um, so what exactly is this? And then the sponsors are like Blavity Inc., which is their own organization. Like, like what's that about? Then mm -hmm. Adidas, then Bank of America, then Comcast. Dash, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, like when you see that, it's like, okay, she's always doing partnerships. There's, there's different verticals. Like there's the Blavity Inc., Blavity.com, Blavity, the website. Then there's like, you know, these partnerships with like coding places and these tech companies and startups and there's a there's a fellowship and there's this weird kind of intersection of um silicon valley mm -hmm. journalism mm -hmm. 
identity politics um and, and all these things but basically when it came out it came out the gate like really popular and it's been responsible for a lot of the modern black writing like at, at the time it was pioneering a lot of the horrible art identity politics article styles that were popular mm -hmm. so people started calling people uh blavity blacks like if you wrote you know articles in the format we take for granted now you know uh, um uh, what people will call like kind of like um woke identity politics type articles they would call you uh, a, a blavity black but the reason why that term almost doesn't really um work anymore um or oh, and she calls herself a founder a founder is always like a red flag for someone who's on that uh, silicon valley startup type of stuff right mm. um the style has become so ubiquitous and now it's just how everybody writes that um the word blavity black doesn't really mean anything anymore because now this is how everybody like you ever see something that's so groundbreaking and so influential that if you try to read it now it's hard to appreciate it because all its innovations are just the industry norm now so so like there'll be some kind of influential author and their book doesn't really have much of an impact on you and someone will be like yeah it's hard for you to understand what this book felt like when it came out because now every innovation this book made is how yeah I, that makes sense yeah, yeah. so blavity so Blavity is um it is like that. It created a lot of the modern um black it created a lot of this modern black writing movement. But interestingly enough, the modern black writing created a lot of identity writing in general. Like like when I read like a lot of um Asian quote unquote activist writing, mm -hmm. um, they write in that same kind of style now about you know checking privilege and you mm -hmm. know, uh, mm -hmm. when I was in high school, uh I already knew white people and I discovered my blackness or my whatever in college and now i'm uh checking people's privilege and i've decolonized my desire like like that whole style was they were like the, the founders um of it but they've become kind of irrelevant as a result of their own success like their styles become so ubiquitous that nobody even remembers it anymore like like the new york times buzzfeed etc everybody writes like the way that uh they created so okay yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense yeah i didn't even know they were even still around i assumed that they were like just gone all together that's how uh irrelevant they became from um being everywhere yeah so um anyway this this article is from blavity and it's an article about sarah rao and um whatever her partners regina jackson's um dinners but they are they decided to make a documentary based on these sinners and the documentary is called deconstructing karen so this like karen like this like meme of uh this oh white woman who's like this like like middle class white woman who is like racist but like has really liberal politics and doesn't think she's racist feel as i feel like that like kind of started as a meme on twitter or the internet and for um uh for a while people kept uploading photos of um white women doing stuff like calling the cops on black people um if they like uh i don't know if uh there was one with a pool with a public pool and the white woman on the phone and it took a uh -huh. picture of her and then she became a meme yeah I, there's like so many of them it's hard for me to like really think of one specific there was one where um this like black guy was in central park and he was like was he like dog walking okay he um, was bird watching he was bird watching and then um another woman came and saw him and i don't know what she thought he was doing but she called the cops on him so that was like a another one that got that became really viral as well so anyway yeah um karen it's like oh, oh and and they always had names so there was barbecue becky yeah. corner, corner store <laughs> corner store carolyn permit patty she's the one that had to do with the pool permit uh -huh. um, and golf cart gale yeah <laughs> so the, but i feel like the meme is just like so overdone at this mm. point and i do feel like um this like it, it, so there was like this cared meme but then everyone started complaining about white women and it was like white women this white women that and you know it is true um you know there is some truth to it but also at the same time i do feel like white men started um like complaining about white women as well and it just sort of became a lightning rod for them to like from, express their misogyny and getting props for it too like yeah like, 
yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, suddenly, like, uh, white men were even jump joining in on the Karen bashing. It was uh, very annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like, I feel like Sarah Rao, in that same way, also became a lightning rod for racists. Um, because they would like. I mean, she says a lot of dumb shit on Twitter, and then white guys, white racists, would immediately like dogpile her. And you know, obviously, the stuff she says is dumb, but um, you know, they would. She was one of those people that, um, you know, she was one of those people where, um, you know, these racists would make fun of all the time. And it, it was like clearly coming from a place of racism and misogyny. But the stuff she said was so stupid that it provided a cover for that. Like she was an easy target. Oh, yeah. But it, it also provided an easy cover for them against uh, accusations of racism and misogyny. But something I'd be trying to wonder and I'm, I wonder how you feel about it like the stuff she was saying yeah it was dumb and it went viral because of its dumbness but it's undeniable that it made her well known like so I was mm-hmm. thinking, are we is she the dumb one or are we the dumb ones like like is she like a perverse kind like did she well we don't have our own documentary so yeah, yeah, i guess yeah, that exactly. answers that question <laughs> <laughs> yeah did, did she accidentally strike gold or is she some just uh Machiavellian uh, master of media that uh, you know figured out how to uh I mean I don't think dumb. I don't think that social she had okay so she's like a professional right she was a Wall Street lawyer she ran for office she's a political activist so she has uh consultants and she hires PR people and she it's this social media stuff she does it's not an accident she has like a social media strategy so um the dumb stuff that she says online it's definitely like not naivety or how do you pronounce it night she's not being naive i think there's like a strategy behind it and it's worked it's it's really worked but would you want to be her in exchange for like for example if i had to get a documentary right but i'd have to get a documentary doing dumb stuff like that uh having this race to dinner thing and the type of um reputation she has i feel like it'd be tough to do like like i'd have to be the race to dinner woman like uh and even for money i just feel like I mean, I think it's, there are people like us who mock her, but there are other people who think, who like really admire her and think she's a genius. And those people probably outnumber us. But the problem is those people, they have to be such morons. So it would put me back in the same place. So I'm like, every time one that came up to me and tried to have a conversation, I just feel like dying. They, they, they would just be like, oh my God, I'm so glad what you do. And I want you to know I'm one of the good ones. And, you know, uh, I try to have dinner with the black person every day. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, that would actually make it worse if I did this more of them out there. And every time I leave my house, I just have to encounter them. Like, I, I would... No, she probably finds it flattering. Yeah, she probably not... thinks that she has, like, this profound effect on people that um, she's, like, changed their lives um, by making them aware of their own racism and like making them confront it and that's kind of what i was getting at like on some level to live this identity she has to buy into it on some level like, oh yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. like how say, could like, you wake up every day and not you know yeah that's what i was trying to ask like to what level is it sincere and what level is it cynical like i know i'm bullshitting. i think and, like and, and you agree at some, some point the, some the line begins to blur at yeah. some point the line begins to blur it's like ironic racism right you there's like no such thing as ironic racism it comes from it comes from uh a certain place and you can pretend that it's ironic but if you like do this bit every day online then the line begins to blur like you you know what i'm saying yeah yeah because ironically or not you you have to think up this stuff and say yeah every single day and just turn it warping your brain to even come up with this stuff forces you to think that certain way and you also have to um you're you're feeding it into the atmosphere you're you're sending that energy out you know mm-hmm. and you're you're adding like you know in the example of the ironic racist like you've added one more racist joke to the the ether you know in, into into the environment whether you meant it to be ironic or not and the further away it gets from you, the um, less control you have over whether people are going to be able to tell if mm-hmm. it's uh, like, okay, 
I use different examples. It's going to be kind of a weird one, but um, from uh, Chapel Trap House, there's uh, Matt Chrisman, and he would do this ironic um, soy face all the time. I don't know if you know what, what soy face is. I think I... I don't know. Um, uh, you'll know it if you see it. If you if you don't know the name, I'll, I'll okay. Google it and, and share the screen. But soy face is the face where um, these white guys with oh yeah beards always you know make this um, goofy face all all the time. And it's um I'll show I'll show you an example. People at home who are like listening, just do a Google image search to um. Where did that come from, and why is it called soy face? Well. Okay, the reason why it's called, um, well, it's keeping the internet, like people on the internet just like to do it. And it started to be called soy face because I feel like you right now, every time like someone sends you a tweet and you're like, where did this come from? What is the context <laughs> behind this? Like, I feel someone just like, like I dropped in the middle of this and I have like, no, everybody knows what it is, but I have like no context for like why, what it is and like why it's a meme. <laughs> what she's talking about is like Amanda will send me stuff from Twitter and I was asking I was actually what is this and she'll say something I'm like no I need it more basic like walk me back to the beginning you know she, you know she's like oh they're making fun of this I'm like no I need to know exactly <laughs> like like just talk to me like I'm five years old I do not know what but yeah sometimes I just feel like it's it's too much and I just I just don't respond <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. too much work to like give you the full context yeah. No, no. I mean, I think you should do a good job. Like, like uh, you give me enough to fill in the rest of the blanks, blanks myself. But uh, turns out I can't share my screen, so I can't show it to you. But if you look up soy face, but uh, uh -huh. he would do this ironic soy face all the time. And um, now when you Google soy face, his thing comes up in almost every soy face article because he just did it too <laughs> well. So it's like, okay, no one can tell when they see it decontextualized from his tweets or from uh, his whatever. Yeah, now he ironic. became the meme. He yeah. became the meme. And and now his face is one of the top soy faces. <laughs> like like whenever you search an article on soy face, uh, you know, when they're, make, when they're making fun of soy face people or they make soy face collages and stuff, he's always in a soy face collage. And I'm like, oh my God, it kind of sucks for him that, that he uh, has not become like a poster boy for... Um, so why, um, where did this come from? What What is, why is it called soy oh, yeah, face? Yeah. It's called soy face because um, it's called soy face because in the not being true, but you know, like soy face has soy has something called like phytoestrogens or something. Right, this is like yeah, the terrible science that says uh, you if you eat too much soy, then um, you consume a bunch of estrogen and like you become more feminine. Yeah, yeah. So that happened. So then people start saying, oh. You know, soy makes you more feminine or or lowers your testosterone. And because the guys who make soy face uh, are usually like these kind of um, geeks who are into like collecting stuff and, and playing video games or collecting comics or watching cartoons and looking kind of um, uh, effeminate. They started calling it the soy face because, um, you know, they were saying, oh, those are that's the kind of guy who has a lot of soy. I'm going to send you uh, I think they should have a bunch of examples. Um, this this link. But um, it goes back to the cyber route thing. Like um, he was always doing the soy face and then he just kind of became a poster boy for soy face where like, every time you saw him talk about saw someone talk about soy in a collage sooner or later his face would always show up but then I started thinking after a while is he doing it ironically because if he's doing it in every single like you know picture and stuff it what really is the difference you know mm -hmm. um and I've, i got a feeling cyber rao is probably like that whether it started out as a bit or not and here's an example of one of her things that kind of went viral i think she had this tweet she goes during covid my friend in denver was just released from the hospital with covid i have another friend in new york city who was on life support with covid one is 45 the other 44 they both have children white people have decided they love white supremacy more than life itself hence <laughs> this and people are like wait where is the jump how did you go from they both have covid to Right. So is she saying that white people don't wear masks? And I don't know. so they're, um, see, they're, this like, this is kind of annoying to the way that like a lot of people are like white, white people. And then they attribute some like random trait that I feel 
like is not just limited to white people. Yeah, like the, there's, there's plenty of black anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers out there. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I do feel like not wearing masks is not a trait that is just limited to white people. But yeah, people do that all the time. And I find it kind of like, oh, you know, white people don't lock their doors. White people don't do their dishes, blah, 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 stuff like that. And I but just feel like it's like a really lazy thing. Oh, for sure. But also the idea that white people love white supremacy more than life itself. And it's like, it's also kind of weird because are they doing it out of white? Like, you can do something because you're white, but does it mean that you love white? Like, okay, the word white supremacy, I feel like doesn't have to be there. I don't know. Like, like even if she wants to blame white people, she could just say like white people. I'm, but I, don't, I don't know. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to be devil's advocate and it's just too stupid. So I'm not even going to bother to try. I take it back. Forget I even opened the door <laughs> trying to be a devil's advocate to this, to this tweet. But um, there's no connective tissue there, you know? So she could be talking about the mass. She could be talking about, um, that we don't have universal health care and she's blaming white people. Oh, yeah, that may- that would make a more. Yeah, I-, I could see that. Yeah, that's possible, too. But there's a lot of things that's possible. But when you tweet it like this, you make it vague enough that you open the door to being misinterpreted, to uh, triggering um, trolls or whatever. And she always just tweets these inflammatory. I hate white people. Um, well, you know what happens is that um, she tweets something like that that's like kind of trolly and then she gets a lot of backlash and then what she will do is she will um, highlight some of the backlash, some of the criticism and um, she'll be like, see, this is another example of white supremacy or like white people in my mentions don't, you know, are, you know, harassing me because I said this one thing. So it's just like this, like constant feedback loop. Yeah. And then a handful of people who are kind of similar to her and trying to do the same hustle as her and probably want to get on her radar because she might include them in her next, um, grift, uh, I'll jump in to defend her and get involved into the fight and argue with the trolls too. So people be like, I'm sorry you have to go through this, Syra, or you know, mm-hmm. we're on your side, or they'll they'll signal booster. And it's just, just like 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 let me ask you this. What does activism mean anymore? Like the word, especially on um Twitter. Like, for example, I see a lot of people now take great pains to use the word organizer for mm-hmm. their work just because the word activist has come. I feel like organizer is yeah. harder to, to, to hijack, but like what is an activist now? Like I feel like activist just means I Yeah, I, I don't really I like the issues. word activist yeah. because um Activist just feels like it's it's an identity that people can take up without really doing anything. Whereas what you were saying, organizer, it actually means something because it act it like it necessi- it necessitates you like getting out of your house and actually you know the, it's in the the word itself organizing stuff. Whereas activism. I don't know. That can mean anything. That can mean like sitting online and tweeting stuff. Like I feel like a a lot of activists think spreading awareness is activism. And that can literally just be like sitting online posting. And, you know, they um, act like like it's just something you add to everything now. I think it means spreading awareness. I think it means just kind of being quote unquote woke as well, because now, for example, a lot of B and C list actors, they'll put actor comma activist comma whatever and it's like okay you're an actor who occasionally instagrams yourself at protests or tweets about you know food insecurity affects one out of three black families in la um do do the work and learn the research and hashtag food insecurity la you know like it's like okay that's not active (laughs) i mean it's not real i mean yeah this is like the problem i feel like um I, I I feel like the fundamental problem is not one of uh awareness because like most people are aware that uh climate change is bad and we're like in a climate crisis um so the problem is not one of awareness it's one of organization um and people uh don't really know how to get organized and take power yeah and it, it's it's all it's all bizarre it, it's all bizarre to me because uh act this new definition of activism uh creates a place for stuff like we're what we're about to read to count mm-hmm. and that's this article about um here we go 
It's by Marty Bowser. It's the one that said Karen's and Becky's put on the spot in new documentary about white women's role in white supremacy. Oh, before we get into the article, though, mm-hmm. can I uh, share another Sarah Rao tweet uh, that's really ridiculous that also like made the rounds for like being so ridiculous? Oh, yeah, please do. Okay, it says, reminder that private messages of support is another form of white supremacy. <laughs> Make it public or keep it to yourself. <laughs> See, she, on, she has to be trolling. Like, I, like <laughs> she has to be real to some degree, but she has to be trolling. I, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess she's saying that um, uh, if you're not willing to put yourself at risk uh, to face the backlash and criticism, for supporting her, um, then you are enabling white supremacy. Uh, so she doesn't want private messages of support. She wants uh, very vocal, very public um, declarations of support because then you're w- you're willing to like put yourself out there and put yourself on the cross. Uh, yeah. One thing I like about all of it is um, how there's a certain level of deciphering you have to do to um, make it make it work after every single cyber route tweet because it's like okay. Okay. What are you trying to say in this one? Well, I think she's trying to say that white people did this. You know, you know, like yeah. there's always like a missing piece of connective tissue. It's like you know, um, out of toilet paper in the supermarket, and you know, this shows how white supremacy keeps things <laughs> from. Um, it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. How how did she work this one out? Let's sit down and try to. Oh, you know, I just thought together. of another like uh, like thing that. Uh, uh, another thing that like another Twitter thing that white people supposedly do that I'm not like super like you know how um, every few months or so there's like some viral tweet that says like white people don't wash their legs or white people are unclean or like white people don't shower or whatever Mm -hmm. is that true I don't think that I mean I don't I don't know I found the the origin of that one okay so somebody was uh, somebody quote tweeted um, Libby Watson, the um, I think it was her, the journalist, and they put something like, "Yeah, yeah, you be, uh, you don't even wash your legs." And then I had like responded like, "Yeah, you know, we can disagree with people that are doing these dumb, reductive, um, yeah, kind of jokes. Like, you know, like you're not even addressing her point or anything." And then someone said, "Oh no, you miss." And it, again, it's that same thing about if you're not on Twitter all the time and in the right corners of Twitter. You miss the context of stuff. It goes, oh no, you don't get the context. Um, she's where that thing started. And then they shared with me some tweets and she had tweeted something. Yeah, and- I remember this from a few years ago. Some journalist, was it Libby Watson? Yeah. She yeah. like made a comment about like not washing her legs and that you're you you can wash your upper body and then the soap will like run down and that like supposedly washes your legs or something. Which is not true. Washing your legs every day seems really excessive to me. How are they getting dirty? I don't even go outside. And then um, a lot of people agreed with her too, which kind of made it even worse because that kind of made it even more like, hey, maybe this is a white woman thing and not just her. Because uh, I think if she was the only one who said it and then that was it, it would have been, you know, yeah. Just a, and then a like thing. somehow like people extrapolated it to mean that that like all white people don't wash their legs. And now like it's it's, a, it's like a joke on Twitter. But a lot of a lot of white women did agree, but not washing <laughs> their, their legs. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, maybe that one's real. Then. Maybe that's a real thing. Or like like um a lot of people and not just her like other people like as it became a meme a lot of white people were like well i don't see what the big deal is you know so they just kept getting uh worse like this was a woman named sophie wiener i don't use soap on my whole whole body when i shower um and she, she's i think she's a journalist too she's a blue check and i don't Still think i'm gross true. i pretty much just wash my face and armpits with soap and i shower like once or twice a week i think it's fine and um someone did an article compiling all these um white people's you know saying if someone said if you wash your legs you've got too much free time like there were so <laughs> many people responding to the original tweet you know um like okay there was a person in 2021 it's another example named goblin shoes on twitter and she mm-hmm. said i have a confession i only started washing my legs after the white people don't wash their legs uh discourse and then 
that tweet, right, which she, which she copped it only starting to wash her legs after seeing white, white people get roasted on it for Twitter, led to all these people responding to um to them doubling down on, uh, well, I still don't wash my legs, and, th- and this is why. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, and th- there's like... um. There's like, you know, uh, offshoots of that conversation, like, like those, like a lot of them will be like, well, I don't wash my legs or I don't shower every day because it dries out my skin. And then oh, that yeah. became like a white people don't know about lotion or like white people <laughs> don't use lotion conversation. <laughs> I remember, I remember um, there was a white guy and a black woman. I sent you a link in the chat of, oh. of, of people's uh doubling down and not washing their legs but there was a, a white guy and a black woman the black woman tweeted something and the white guy got in her mentions to say something um and then she just tweeted back and i don't know why it was so funny or why it worked but she just tweeted back um you know shut up you look like you don't even wash your feet when you shower you have the soap run down and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and call it a day and what made it so funny was we look at his his profile pic i don't know why but he did look that way like, he didn't look like <laughs> <laughs> he used to soap run down your body and then through your toes and then you call that washing your feet and what was funny about it, it had nothing to do with what he was talking about she just brought up a non sequitur that everyone started cl- clowning him and, uh, yeah yeah i remember yeah 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 i remember the sophie wiener tweet now yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it kind of sucks to be the poster child for not washing your legs. Like, I feel like it's, I feel lucky that all my years on Twitter, I've never had that kind of tweet that just becomes notorious with me. Like, it's just amazing how it just takes, you have a hundred thousand good tweets, but it just takes one bad tweet. Just takes one. This is why I'm so, I try, knock on wood, I try to be so careful about what I say on Twitter because if you have tens of thousands of followers, you know that like people are already screen capping like everything you say and like sharing them in group chats. So, you know, I, I, I try to be really careful not saying something that they could really like use against me. But I think like Sophie, that one tweet was just really bad judgment on her part. Like, why would you admit to something like that? I think it was, I think it was, uh, I think maybe it was just eating, eating at her. Like just, just, just felt her whole identity being, um, you know, question. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's like a lot of articles of people compiling, um, white people doubling down on not, uh, washing their legs. Really, I mean, Twitter teaches you all types of things about people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I did an image search for like Sarah Rao, uh, bad tweets. And there's just so, so many. There's one, do white women go to a secret censor yourself in every conversation school? Um, yeah, yes, a lot of it is especially about white, which is white supremacy and then especially, um, white women. And it's funny because with all her. Oh my all, gosh. Oh my gosh. I just found a really good one. Oh, uh, please tell to me. All right. <laughs> White women getting arrested with their hair just so, the right light and cameras rolling. White arrest privilege may just be the most toxic. <laughs> oh, God. She, she, she's so... <laughs> 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 she, 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 she's, she's too she's too much oh my god yeah yeah if you enter her in the in the image search um wait white people need to be wiped off this planet so we can all have a beautiful peaceful wor- world again as long as you continue to take up space toxic whiteness will keep spreading white people are white supremacy is that one fake that one just feels like it's too oh who needs enemies when you have white women friends Oh, she, oh, she has white. Oh, yeah, I, I see the white woman getting arrested. One. <laughs> oh God, and and you know what's kind of interesting with her too. She gets to sell all this stuff to white women. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, 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 uh, it's a weird thing. Um, because po- supposedly she hates white people, but it's the source of her income. They're the source of her income. White guilt is the source of her income. Yeah. And her stories are always so weird. Like, she's this one, my Indian friend and his white girlfriend confronted some white guys dressed as cowboys and Indians last night. One of the white guys punched her in the face. White men, stop hurting everyone. Stop committing violence at every turn. Just stop. Okay, that story just seems weird. What grown men play cowboys and Indians? Like, 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 mm-hmm. what did it matter that the boyfriend was Indian? Why did they punch? Like, again, the connective tissue is not there. There's so many questions I have about different steps in that story. 
Yeah, and, I feel like at some point you probably like in order to feed the content machine, uh, you have to start making stuff up or like exaggerating stuff. Yeah, I think she definitely does that. I think she makes everything kind of just cryptic enough mm-hmm. for it to seem very odd. And and that helps uh, fuel the story, too. She's uh yeah, she, she, she's she's a savant. She's a, she's somehow a genius and a moron at the same time. And it's hard to parse which part you're seeing at any given time. But uh, the article, um, Deconstructing Karen, I didn't know she had a documentary, a new provocative mm-hmm. documentary exposing white women's role in white supremacy, observes a group of white women as they attend a dinner party in Denver, Colorado, hosted by Race to Dinner co-founders Regina Jackson and Syrah Rao. But the buffet of conversation planned to be served at the table is one the attendees aren't fully prepared to swallow. In an Instagram clip posted by Race to Dinner, a group of seemingly unsuspecting white women sit at a beautifully set dinner table and then get hit with some hard questions. Jackson asked the women, how many of you would trade places with the black person in this society? Raise your hands. Stunned silence and awkward looks were the responses. One attendee answered, I don't know how to answer that. Jackson replied, what is yes or no? How many of you would do it? The woman attended, attempted to defend herself by sharing her experience of dating a Hispanic man. I had a relationship with a dark Hispanic. For many years, I thought that uh, about having children with really dark skin. More shocked, more shocked and confused looks were shared, prompting Jackson to ask the initial question again for clarity. And it gets the women talking. One guest stated, I'm not saying there isn't racism. I just don't see it. Another guest admitted that racism is real and knows that she doesn't experience the same. To her, Jackson frankly quipped, and you never will. Now, then comes the clip. Now, here's, here's the thing that I find kind of tricky about this, right? Mm-hmm. What does it really prove to get someone to admit they wouldn't trade places with someone? Because, like, I have no doubt mm-hmm. that I'm oppressed compared to a white man. But if you ask me if I wanted to trade places with a white man, I wouldn't. Yeah. Does that mean um, that? Yeah, I think most people want to be what they were born. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, really no good answer to that question, right? Um, it would be great if you if, say if, like, "No, I wouldn't trade places yeah. with a black person," and that automatically casts you as a racist in their eyes. Yeah, and if you say, "Yes, I would," they pro- they would probably think you were lying anyway. Or, or if they or if they do believe you, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I bet you do, you fucking racial dolezal, you fucking oh cultural appropriate." <laughs> yeah, I bet you want to. Yeah, you probably want to uh, center yourself too. You want to be in black spaces, don't you? And just, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like with this type, you just can't win. No matter, no matter what you say, they'll find a reason as to why what you're doing is uh, problematic. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know what you could possibly do to make these people these people happy. Let me ask you a question: okay. How many of you would trade places with a black person in this society? Raise your hand. I don't know the answer to that. Well, it's yes or no. How many of you would do it? I know I would. I mean, I I dated a Hispanic very dark. No, no, I'm not talking about Hispanic. The question is, but I was going to have children. So I spent many years thinking of myself as having very dark-skinned children. The question is, how many of you would be willing to trade places in this society with a black person? I think I would. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'm not saying there's not racism. Absolutely not. It's just saying, I don't see it. Yeah, but you know how not, racist this country not is. Not to the degree that you do. Oh, no, you right? will never know. You know, in this country, we created the criminalization of Black people. And when your skin is seen as a weapon, you're never unarmed. And that's why Black boys and men and women are dying in the street with their hands up. I'm not sure what's supposed to happen from that. Um, I mean, outside of them making a lot of money, Mm -hmm. because that race to dinner costs a lot of money. It costs... Actually, let me just continue the article, Mm because they get to that. Um, As blindsided as the women appeared to be, they knew what they were getting into. According to the New York Post, Jackson, a black woman, and Rao, an Indian-American woman, launched their dinner party venture in early 2019. They used the serene setting as a way to inform white women how they are racist. A seat at the table costs $2,500 $2,500 for a group of 8 to 10 white women. If you did this in a conference room, they'd leave, Rao told the Guardian. But wealthy white women have been taught never to leave the dinner table. Oh my God. I didn't realize that was a supposed reason. So basically, um, white women are socialized to never leave dinner tables. So if you lecture them at a dinner table, you have them captive. They're, they're glued to the seat 
they are magnetized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen white women walk out of dinners before. I don't know. I've seen bad dates in restaurants where white women. Yeah. No, I feel like um, oh, I don't really want to do that. Like weird generalization of white people do this or what. But yeah. I feel like uh, in general, like white people tend to be like very non-confrontational and like kind of passive aggressive. And so um, they tend to um, prioritize like peace at all costs like they don't want to make a scene and so i think that's what they're trying to get at is that you know they're not going to make a scene by like but fully leaving the dinner table but what she's saying is that these white women see what you're saying is kind of like oh uh, a lot of white people can be non-confrontational and didn't want to make a scene period but what Ra was saying and I'll, I'll repeat the sentence she's not saying that she's saying that's specific about the context of dinner so she goes mm-hmm. if you did this in a conference room they'd leave mm-hmm. but wealthy white women have been taught to never leave a dinner table so she's not saying oh they're just passive aggressive she's like oh, i didn't no, know oh. that was like a like a wealthy white thing that it it's rude to leave the dinner table but it's okay to leave a conference room so she so she mm-hmm. she has to put them at a dinner table because in another context they would just they would just leave that that part is interesting to me like why mm-hmm. would someone who would be who would gladly w- walk out on you on in, in a conference room feel like obligated to stay at a dinner table i mean like mm-hmm. if, if they're rich they, they can just pass up the food like fuck it i'll just buy new food uh, i i don't know it's a very weird rationale to me. um the dinners are two hours long and white men and trump voters are not invited Jackson and jackson and rao sees them as lost causes okay jackson shared white men are never going to change anything if they were they would have done it by now. Jackson added, they focus on liberal white women because who else would pay them? Uh, because they feel they can actually influence them. Those women in turn will likely go on to influence their own circles. In the beginning of the unique experiences, women at the dinners were constantly crying and some of the early dinners got out of hand with attendees attempting to place their hands on Jackson and Rao alongside racial slurs thrown <laughs> around. That would be interesting to see. I want to see that video. Yeah, and- I don't know. I don't know about that. I I wonder if it's even true. Yeah, I feel like that might be like PR stuff. It's like promo stuff for the documentary. If it definitely happened, if it definitely (laughs) happened, they would have filmed it and put it in there. Yeah, I just feel like like those kinds of liberal white women wouldn't be the kind to throw racial slurs around because they're so scared of how they're they want to be perceived so badly as not racist. Yes. That I just couldn't see it. Like they might be like thinking it, but I can't Mm -hmm. see them vocalizing it i totally agree um and if it did happen i feel like they would blast them on twitter and everywhere like, like they wouldn't just pass it off as just you won't believe what happened to me one time anyway yeah sarah right, rao right would along. never yeah. sarah yeah. rao would never uh Let you know go. have yeah. a racial slur thrown at her without tweeting about it yeah so she, if she didn't tweeted, tweet about it, it didn't happen exactly she would have tweeted about it she would have done a long thread she we would have heard about it by now said the woman's <laughs> name and been fuming her. And, yeah uh, you won't believe what happened to me this is what this what this woman said this is why white women need to die yeah she would have said something uh, so, so i call bullshit on that there's also required re- reading before attending a dinner including white fragility by robin d'angelo a popular book articulating that everyone has moments of racism in their lives one visit to the deconstructing karen website and it's clear that jackson and rao are using these dinners to more than share recipes and, and this is like what makes blavity blavity like blavity co-signs this stuff all the time like 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 a site like blavity will never consider like hey maybe this is bullshit like like this is a this is blavity's type of crowd like they uh would sponsor and support this type of thing mm-hmm. um oh, the herstory page on the website provides a timeline of white women's role in the racist history of america the co-founders subtitled the page becky and karen aren't new characters in the story of race in america the dinners are a starting point according to race to dinners about section the organization describes the sit-downs as a place to start thinking about how you actively uphold white supremacy every minute of the day of every day the application for the dinner is accessible on the website and the message for interested guests and hosts is pretty upfront change starts with you so yeah 
I mean, that's pretty that's pretty interesting. Like a lot of these people have been lecturing white women for free on Twitter, but they could have been making a lot of money doing it at these um dinners. I'm actually surprised it's not more expensive. Like twenty five hundred dollars mm-hmm. for eight to ten women, that's about um two hundred and fifty to maybe four hundred dollars um mm-hmm. a plate. They could, I mean they that's not more. that's not that's a small price to pay for a lot of these women to like alleviate themselves of their white guilt. I would go for at least four thousand, like four hundred, five hundred dollars a plate. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I I think I think they're they're aiming too low. I think they could probably get get more. Uh, just go all the way with the grift. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I feel like this was. I feel like this kind of white guilt politics is not as popular as it was like immediately after the twenty twenty uprising. Like at that time, I was working in an office, and uh, you know, I I worked at a book publisher and we published um, a lot of these kinds of books. I don't think we published, I don't think our our company published White Fragility, but they published that like, what's the name of that anti-racist guy? Ibram Kendi. Yeah, we published your company. Him. Your company is like one of the hugest companies. So yeah, I don't want to name it. No, but no, no. I'm yeah. not gonna name it. But I was just gonna say they definitely, um, just by their sheer size, have been complicit in like at least a third oh. to a half, third to half of the anti-racist. Uh, oh, for sure, it's a major industry that they like largely drove. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not gonna name the company, but it's like one of the big five, and you can like you know infer it, figure it out. Yeah. 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 Um, but. Immediately Immediately, like after the 2020 uprisings, they did all this sorts, all sorts of shit where um, they would like have like meetings and stuff. And our department had to read that anti-racist book and like come together and like meet and talk about it. And um, we would have like these meetings during lunchtime where white people would like they would like take the floor and start flagellating themselves and just being like, you know, I'm white and I'm like very aware of my privilege and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was like it never really like did anything or it doesn't really do anything except like maybe absolve themselves of their white guilt and then it was very self-serving in a way because they could just um kind of place themselves on a pedestal and be like look i'm white but i'm aware of my white privilege and so i'm not like those white people and it never really like um it never really manifested in any sort of like action beyond that or any kind of like type of solidarity beyond just um, kind of denouncing their whiteness. Like it really, there was like no sort of action after that. So I don't know. I That's another pet peeve I have are these like white people that are like, you know, I'm white, but I'm not one of those white people. White oh, people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. T- totally. Um, On November 1st, the book White Woman comes out and I can't find a preview of it. I'm looking because I would love to kind of read, you know, um, but what's interesting is I'm looking at the blurbs for it and the blurbs just look so um, like Chelsea Handler is the first blurb. Like, <laughs> what's the book called? White? It's called White Women. And the subtitle is everything you already know about your own racism and how to do better. Oh my like, God. I'm seeing who the publisher is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to. <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> yeah. No, but no, but you're basically saying what a, who the publisher is, but I just, uh, I wasn't going to say anything, but, but yeah, you're basically yeah. letting people know uh, <laughs> who it is. Oh, oh, so on the cover, there's the title and then there, it says white woman and then below women, there's like a tear, like yeah. a big tear that's supposed to signify like white, white women, women fragility, white women tears. Yeah. Yeah. I, can, I, can't oh, believe. I would love to meet a white woman who uh reads this book and just talk to her and just like have you ever like been around that those kinds of people no because i i, I have it i kind of okay. want to just to see what it's like to be one of them it's a, it was so i had never really been around those kinds of people before because like i grew up i grew up um in the midwest and so the racism that i experienced was more of overt. the very like overt blatant kind of racism where they just call you a slur um 
And so that was the type of racism. And I, you know, the publishing environment is one where like people come from like a lot of money, right? So I wasn't used to like being around that type of like ultra liberal um, kind of environment where, um, yeah, like ultra liberal and like coming from like rich backgrounds. And when I started working in publishing, it was like a total culture shock. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very strange. It's very strange. Um, like they would say stuff like, I don't know, I remember, um, you know, they, it's a kind of racism where they like to pride themselves on not being racist. Um, and it's almost like to the point of satire, you know, that movie Get Out where, and that, that joke that the guy makes where he's like, Oh, I would have voted for Obama like three times or something like that. I don't know. It's not like, it's not like that far off. It's not like that much of a satire. Like I remember, um, um, like these people like love the Obamas. They loved Michelle Obama, especially because she had that, like, like two things going for her. And like, first was like, she was a woman and she was a black, she was black. And so, um, like people really felt good about like liking her because of that. Um, and, um, no big time. Like, um, there was, but they would say like, really like, like racist shit. Like, um, I remember I was sitting at my desk and I overheard this girl being like, you know, it was like right around the beginning of COVID before we started working from home. And, um, you know, it was getting really bad in the US. And she was like, well, COVID isn't that bad because, you know, we're, you know, we're experiencing an overpopulation crisis anyways. So, you know, it's not that mm. terrible. And you know, when people talk about overpopulation, that's oh, like coded for like non-white people, like non-white people are breeding at a rate like higher than, than we'd like. Yeah, so it's, totally. yeah. So, so it's that kind of racism. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, um they'll say like weird things in the form of innocuous questions like um you know i've I've seen people ask like uh yeah so um you know in your home country like do people have x y and z we said like really basic it's it's like yeah like do you have soap do you shower yeah yeah running water do you wear shoes yeah (laughs) yeah like like, what are you talking about are you you serious like i feel like a lot of liberal uh white people do stuff like that all right y'all so that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good